I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. The Major Spoilers Podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and we will go into detail about the topics we discuss, so if you haven't read, listened to, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. This time around, there's dolls in the sky, there's nobles in the dirt, Frank Rock's in the art house, and M&M's in your face with a gun. Plus, art thou not Tyler Durden? Dead men don't wear capes, a general inability refrain from our geekery, an almost certain overuse of the word anyway, and a big buongiorno from the Spider-Man Italiano. And this, the 14th in a series, collect them all of the major spoilers podcast action. Excellent. Welcome to the show, everybody. Bonjour. I, love, I gotta say, I gotta love the Italian Spider-Man. Uh. Dang, this thing, it's been around for quite some time, almost a year, but I stumbled across it this past week, and my gosh, it's the funniest thing I've ever seen. And if you guys haven't been up to the Major Spoilers website, you really need to check it out. Just go into the video section or look on the last couple of pages, and you'll see Italian Spider-Man trailers laid out. Now, the the, the idea is that this is a film that's been uncovered. Uh, from 1968, and they're restoring it, <laughs> and it's this story of S- Italian Spider-Man, and and it's Italian just Spider-Man. It's just so funny, and it's done so well. It's actually a student film. I was doing some research on this. Uh, you can go and look up the Italian Spider-Man uh, uh, MySpace page. You can find the Italian Spider-Man, uh, the guy that actually does the acting. Some of the girls that are in the piece, you can find all theirs. I even downloaded their songs off of iTunes. Uh, 99 cents, big deal. Such great rockin' songs. It's really a lot of fun, and supposedly it's coming out May 22nd. I have not been... It's like all day on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. It's like every 10 minutes I'm playing this these trailers and videos and just rolling because they're so like the movies that came out of that time period, mm-hmm. those cheap those cheap pieces. Yeah, they're pretty crazy. Um, the uh, what I was watching it, and you know, I'm I'm from Mexico. I grew up watching uh, Mexican wrestling, and they used the mask of Mexican wrestlers <laughs> for the bad guys. I was like, this is just so incredibly ridiculous to me. And I thought that it, that was it. I, I thought that that one trailer was it. Like the yeah. project was that trailer. Yeah. But apparently, they're uh, making a movie, <laughs> yeah, and it's so great. In fact, even all the uh, pictures that they've taken. What's really cool is they've done their homework, and I've got to give these kids credit. They've done their homework and really come up with the look. And I don't know if they actually researched the film stock of that time period, but they certainly went in and looked at uh, the lighting of that time period for Mm -hmm. specific type of films because they got that red uh, rim light going on everywhere and just some of the cheesiness that goes on of of some films of that period. And speaking of cheesy films, I've I've got a line out to somebody that's done a lot of cheesy films in the past, but I don't want to give too much away. Matthew, what did you think of the Italian Spider-Man? Spider-Spider-Spider-Spider-Man! He said the Spider-Man! I love the fact, it reminded me of one of my favorite crap movies of all time, which is Robot versus the Aztec Mummy. <laughs> you you have, and it, it's like you said. There's a there's a specific quality, a quality of that film stock that you look at it. I looked at it. And I honestly thought this was you know a chunk of some old film that somebody was remixing or you know cutting up into something new. It was pretty awesome, and it. I, I was telling you earlier, it reminded me of the Puma Man episode of Mystery Science Theater three thousand. Yes, exactly. Huh, so great. It's, just so, it's so well done. I can't wait. If this really is a full-length piece that these guys have put together, not just the trailer, and it does come out May 22nd, I'm going to be rolling on the floor, and I'm going to contact these guys and get them on the show because <laughs> okay. this is so freaking hysterical. Go check it out. I love Italian Spider-Man. In fact, I even tweaked some things for Sunday's Mother Day, Mother's Day where Italian Spider-Man is 
Just like he would have said in those, uh, if you would have had a card of the time period of Mother's Day, there's mm-hmm. Italian mother, Italian Spider-Man wishing everyone Mother's Day. So, oh, so great. Uh, we're starting to get the, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really bad, Matthew. I just turned in my comic order today. Oh, uh, you're May issue. So I'm like four days late on this thing. You are but late. That's okay. My guy's a good guy. But we've already got solicitations for August uh, heading our way. Anybody see anything in in uh, the August Dark Horse solicitation that looks good? Um, you know, I've been I've been kind of hopping back and forth on that uh, Star Wars Legacy. Oh yeah, stuff. Have you been reading a lot of that or not? Um, I read the first two issues and I was like, uh, maybe I'll check it out later. But I haven't I haven't followed up on that, and I think they're up to seven now. So yeah. I got some catching up to do. Dollar bin. <laughs> well, I good got luck. the first two on uh, free comic book day, so well, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Matthew, anything stand out for you? There's actually two things, and they're right near the top that jumped out at me. Uh, The Art of Tony Millionaire. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm a huge fan of uh, Sock Monkey, and the Drinky the Crow just cracks me up every time. So I'm looking forward to that. I don't know if I can actually afford it because I'm relatively broke, but I'm definitely going to you know, try and pick it up from the local library, if nothing else. And the thing that I am actually buying is the reprint of Bernie Wrightson's Frankenstein. Oh, yeah, I saw that. That looked pretty good, too. I just oh bah bah just I love Bernie Wrights and I grew up on Swamp Thing and Tales of Suspense and House of Mysteries. So you throw Bernie Wrights at me and I just start drooling like a child. It's awesome. <laughs> well, for me, it's always Dark Horse. If it's Hellboy, if it's Abe Sapien, mm. if it's BPRD or Buffy, those are all on my That's, list of things that I have to get. It's actually pronounced Biprid. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> It's an it's an acronym, so you know you have to spell it out. <laughs> hey, I've got an acronym for you. F U. <laughs> hey, all right. You don't call Bonjour. you a fool. <laughs> That's F U from Italian Spider Man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there was this uh, couple of rumors going out this week. One uh, posted up, I think, on La- Latino Review, uh, saying that Brad Pitt had been had been in talks to play. Thor, at least appear in the Thor movie that Marvel is coming out with. Uh, what is it, two years from now, a year from now? You're laughing, Matthew. I, I'm laughing simply because uh, I, I cannot say the character's name without hearing in the back of my head, you're Thor, I'm so Thor, I can full, hardly fit down. But it's, a, it's a childish reflex, I'm sorry. So what about, uh, what about Brad Pitt as Thor? Uh, you know, I was... Uh, I saw somebody uh, post it on the forums, and I said, you know, it's like, yeah... Uh, Brad Pitt would make a hell of a Donald Blake, but I just don't see him as Thor. I mean, he's not, he's not, he's kind of not big enough, although, you know, they do wonders with. Oh, uh, yeah. Apple crates know. and apple boxes. And, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, old westerns where the door frame for the guys is uh, really small and the one they put the women in front of is uh, really big and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I look at it this way. If, if you saw him in, um, what is it, Alexander? Or, yeah, mm-hmm. Alexander, and if you saw him in um, Troy, Troy, you know, I thought he did. I think he's pretty cut for mm-hmm. that. One of the things that I think really is the man's a chameleon. I I look at the parts that he's played, and he really inhabits the roles. And if you look at just you know some of the even even the stuff that he's played that's a little more fluffy or a little sillier, you can look at it and you can see that he's really acting and he's really trying to bring something unique to it so not being a terrific thor fan i wouldn't mind seeing tyler durden playing thor necessarily because <laughs> i don't i don't necessarily have a predisposition that thor needs to be big when i was when i was reading thor he seemed like he was just pretty much an average guy in a blue suit with buttons down the front 
So did, did you guys watch uh, Journeyman? The on NBC, the guy that jumps through time. It's kind of like a. I wanted to. That's the guy I thought would play Thor. He actually has a look for playing Thor. Hmm. Right. I can and, see that. I don't, I don't know. That's just my thought. But uh, a lot of people commented on this. I got a couple here. Stacy B uh, wrote that, I agree with Rodrigo. Brad Pitt is Donald Plake, but not Thor. There's no way he could ever bulk up enough. Thor needs to be ripped, and the person at Latino Reviews could have at least found an ultimate Thor pick uh, to put beside the Pitt photo. A uh, lot of people make fun of me for this, but I used to watch wrestling. And while I don't watch WWE anymore, well... Sure, Stacy, we we believe you on that. <laughs> I still think that Paul, what is his name, Levis? Levescu. Triple H is about as perfect as Thor as you can get. He already has the Marvel movie connection, having played Jarko Grimwood in Blade Trinity. What will happen? About as uh, will that happen? About as much chance as Superman wearing a tutu and dancing the Macarena for a full issue. But it's nice to dream. But last oh. I heard, the Thor movie was going to be a period piece set in ancient times. Has that changed? I have no idea. Only people at Marvel know. And uh, Joho wrote in and said that I heard Triple H will be run- running for the part. If you look up Google for Triple H, you can see that he has the looks. And if you check out his works, he's the biggest pompous royal-esque type character in the WWE. I don't know. I don't watch wrestling. So you guys obviously know who this guy is. Well, I have. But he's a he's a heel in the WWE. I mean, he's a, he's a bad guy. So I wonder if they'll even... Wasn't the Rock a bad guy? Well, yeah. That's the the Bro. modern um, wrestler aesthetic is you root for the bad guy. Ah, I see. But is this actually a as... bad guy that you root for? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They refer to it as being a, a tweener, and I I flat out admit it. I am a wrestling fan, and there are two things that kill Triple H for Thor for me. The first is he's big and he's got the hair and he's got a general look he's not traditionally handsome and forgive me the man shouldn't be handsome but he's got a nose you could park a truck on he doesn't look you know nordic he looks germanic which is to me entirely different who's writing for right now straczynski straczynski yeah man i love his take on thor you know or and actually whoever's doing the art on this issue of thor when you look at him he doesn't look like the sharpest pencil in the box you know, he kind of looks kind of stupid. What, you know, and isn't that isn't that kind of how they got Thor tricked into doing a lot of things in the past where he didn't quite understand what was going on, so they kind of tricked him into doing things? But I doubt that that's the – well, I guess it could well, be the take that they do on him. My guess I, is they're really probably going to go with ultimate Thor kind of version where mm-hmm. he's this big, ma- macho guy. Hippie. Yeah. The the other thing that would kill Triple H for Thor for me is Thor should have a big commanding voice and Triple H kind of has a northeastern uh, accent where he talks like this. I am the game. And again, he may be a better actor than I thought. I I watched Blade Trinity and I thought, "Hey, that's Triple H. What's he doing?" Oh, he's playing Triple H, only a vampire. Excellent. Vampire H. Vampire, that's right. Triple V for very <laughs> Very vampiric. <laughs> well, but, keep keep following the story at Majorspoilers.com because we've been breaking stories left and right. We were up there first when some of the uh, big announcements were made for the Spirit uh, cast. We were there when Iron Man uh, was announced with Robert Downey Jr. So keep following it. As soon as the, we get word, we'll post it up on the site and we'll keep you informed as well. And, uh, you know, don't forget, head over to the Major Spoilers forum. We've got this section in the trades you should be reading. We've got a little poll going on where you can vote for your favorite trade paperback based on the top 30 that the panel put together a a few episodes ago. And we'd really like to get some people voting on this and kind of break it down so that we know which one is the best 
trade paperback of all time that people should be re- reading. Uh, and Scott Johnson over at um, MyExtraLife.com launched the nerd tic- Nerdtacular ticket sales this past week, <laughs> and they've all been given away. They were given away in about a uh, about an hour, I think is what he said. So wow. if you were hoping on going to see The Dark Knight for free, you're out of luck. But if you still really want to go, make sure that you sign up because if there are some people that don't show up at the last minute or who are not planning to attend, who thought they were going to attend, you may be get, able to get an unclaimed ticket. Nice. Yeah. Hey, uh, something else that's nice, Rodrigo. Money. Yeah, it is. You know, I put this thing, this little tip jar button, and you can find it up on the upper right-hand corner of the Majorspoilers.com website. And I just kind of put it up there to say, okay, if somebody wants to give us some money, it's great. Mm-hmm. It's not It's not a requirement that people have to put money in the tip jar. It's not like we're sitting there going, dude, dude, <laughs> put some money in, dude. Mm-hmm. So we weren't doing that, but there were a couple <laughs> people this week that I really want to send a shout-out to. I'm not going to give away their last name, but David M. and Eric M. both put some money in the tip jar this week. And you know what? The next day, Libson came along and said, hey, you owe us a little bit of money for hosting this (laughs) podcast. And sure enough, there was the money right there. So thank you, David M. and Eric M. Your donation has kept this podcast going for another month. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And if you would like to put a tip in the tip jar, you can find it over at Majorspoilers.com. Who wants some reviews? Oh, I do. I do, I do. (laughs) Rodrigo's so excited. Yes. (laughs) All right, Rodrigo. You want to start us off this week, Rodrigo? Sure. Um, I reviewed uh, Sky Doll number one. Comes out this week from Marvel Comics. Right. And it's originally a French comic, I believe. And um, Marvel really jumped on this. And as far as I'm concerned, it was a good move of nabbing this before one of the, you know, before Image or Dark Horse, where right, usually right. the guys who pick up other projects do. Um, yeah, Sky Doll. Um, in a dystopian future. Future, future, yeah, future. Yeah. Uh, the, <laughs> basically, it's, it's even really hard to describe. Basically, they're, okay, Sky Doll is a doll. She's basically a robot prostitute. Excellent. Yeah. Um, she, um, she's one of like 10, uh, dolls who are exactly the same as her and she essentially works at this car wash slash brothel type deal (laughs) uh really great um and these two envoys from the what they call the pappas which is you know the female pope right right um come to the city um to do something it's actually isn't revealed in the issue what they're gonna do and um the noah the name the sky doll um hops on board and they essentially accidentally kidnap her um but the art is just so weird in a good way it's like kind of like um heavy metal have you seen if it's actually more if you've seen like titan ae yeah Yeah, that kind of stuff it's um it's kind of like if disney was actually genuinely doing a dark like a darker movie it's like if disney did blade runner that's what Sky Doll looks like. Oh, okay, but with boobies. With and there's plenty of boobies. The the characters are have like this weird um anthropomorphic animal thing going. Um, so they're furry robots. No, they're not quite furries. It's like they look exactly like people except they tend to have either like 
cat noses or like uh, slightly pointier ears or stuff like that. Like there's uh, oh, and actually a lot of them do have tails. <laughs> but um, so they're furries. They're, yeah, they're furries. It, it's not. It's not quite that extreme. If you've ever seen uh, actual furry art, you yeah, know they yeah, yeah, basically yeah. have yeah, yeah. huge animal yeah, heads. Yeah, yeah. and then I, I can honestly movies. say that you may be the only one of us who has extensively researched the furry. <laughs> I. You know what? Uh, I really like uh, looking up. Like, just pictures of animals on, like, I would go to Google and say, like, oh, I want to see a picture of this animal that I just found out about, you know, a caracal or something weird like that. And sure enough, there would be a picture from National Geographic and somebody who made, you know, that particular animal <laughs> as a furry having sex with another animal. And it's like, uh, you know what, maybe I'm going to stop this because after the third or fourth time, I really didn't think they'd go for a Galapagos turtle, but apparently there's a market for everything. But to get us back on track... Sky Doll is really great. Um, I'm real into it. It gets, you know, just in that one issue, it gets into things about, you know, kind of uh, do uh, androids dream of electric sheep kind of oh, stuff. Yeah, you know, cool. what's it like to be an android in this universe? What are her rights? What does she do? Um, she has these weird kind of prophetic dreams and it's like, you kind of want to find out, was this programmed into her? Did she have a life prior to this that was then deleted? Um, very stylish, very cool. Um, I think this is a this is a great thing. This issue is definitely four stars. Excellent, Matthew. Did you ever read it or take a look at the original source material? Uh, to be honest, I was very interested by the previews that I've seen and the little bits and pieces. Um, Dion didn't order any. I'm I'm don't surprise <laughs> me because I I was under the impression it falls under the very mature co- category. Well, there it, are, it, there it, are the, lots the, of boobies the, in the book. One of the things that I was fascinated by in the in the open was uh, the the preview that I saw was the main character who honestly you know I looked at it and I went oh cool sex doll but she seems to be having a discussion with with capital G God and I'm like well this 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 is experimental and weird and maybe not my thing but I'd kind of like to look at it and then of course Dion who looked at it and went well I'm not buying any three days later four or five people said hey put that on my pull list so i may get a chance to look at it when the reorders come in and i'll definitely grab one if it comes up but i think we had some previews up on major spoilers mm-hmm. about that at one point so. we did see that and i think that's what we were looking at that maybe what i was looking at when she was having the discussion with what seemed to be the deity and it seemed like it could go either way it could be fascinating or it could be crass as hell and either way you know i'm good so <laughs> well i'm gonna go the opposite of the end of the spectrum and go with a really good all ages book, more probably geared toward the early. What are they called? The the tweeners, the ones that are before the tweens. Tweens. Yeah, this oh. is this is really geared maybe more to the eight to maybe fourteen year old. But it's a really fun read. It's called Saltwater Taffy: The Seaside Adventures of Jack and Benny, uh, The Legend of Old Salty by Matthew. And I'm going to guess his last name is Lou L O U X. Uh, this is a great book that reminds me a lot of summer vacations spent on the road with with family. So the whole idea is that uh, Jack Putnam and his eight-year-old brother, Benny, are dragged along on their dad's summer vacation. The the whole family goes. But dad is going up to Maine to work on his book, and everybody has to go along. And, of course, there's no television. There's no batteries for the Game Boy. There's no anything (laughs) for these kids to do except enjoy the nature. And they get into this little town, and they discover this 
uh, saltwater taffy shop and they are really loving it. And before you know it, they run into this old crusty fisherman on one of their excursions out. And he's telling them about the tale of the legend of old salty, this gigantic lobster that lives <laughs> offshore. And the way he tells it, I'm reading through this and I'm thinking, man, this sounds a lot like the old man in the sea, the way he's recanting this, mm-hmm. uh, this adventure, recounting this adventure. And uh, they think he's full of, of silliness. But they keep seeing some <laughs> giant shape crawling into the water every night. And then the next day, uh, the saltwater taffy shop has been broken into, and all the taffy's been stolen. And the old crusty fishermen and Jack and Benny uh, start following the trail, and they follow it, and they find these little lobsters. And uh, the they start putting the clues together and think that old Salty might be behind this. And <laughs> there's this great exchange where... The old fisherman is telling these lobsters, you know, you don't have to do what old Salty says. You know, you don't. You're not <laughs> slaves. And then there's this another great conversation where the two little lobsters are talking, saying, yeah, we're going to revolt. We're going to go back and tell old Salty we don't want to do this. <laughs> and, of course, old Salty is not too keen that uh, that uh, the crusty old fisherman has uh, caused his or her – I haven't really determined if it's a his or a her, the giant lobster uh, – is uh, – gotten rid of her her or his slaves his minions mm-hmm. and so there's this the whole ending of the book is the crusty old fisherman battling it out with this giant <laughs> lobster on this uh, dock up in maine and i forget what the name of this uh, town is called um, chowder, bay. chowder bay nice and it is just great in fact there's this great bit well the uh, old salty escapes Thanks to a mysterious detective. And you're going to have to read the book to find out who the mysterious detective is. Classic. Is it, is it Batman? No, it's not Batman. <laughs> but this is a great little book. It's uh, it's from Oni Press. It's five ninety five. I highly recommend it. These are the same people that are putting out Scott Pilgrim uh, for those people who are into, into that. Uh, so yeah. this, I think, is another little hit. It's a great kind of little mystery for kids, and it's part of a series. They've got another one coming out called A Climb Up Mount Barnabas. And what's really cool is the very beginning of the book, uh, Matthew Lou uh, is also the person who illustrated everything in here, and the art is fantastic. It's a black and white book, but on the very first page, you've got a map of Chowder Bay up in coastal Maine, and it's got places like North Bay, Mount uh, Barnabas, you've got East Bay, Claw Mountain, Crab Island, West Bay. You know, I think he's going to have a whole series of these things that all take place on these different places with Jack and Benny during their summer vacation. This is just a sweet little book, and I highly recommend it for anybody to pick up and read, and especially if you've got younger kids. This is a great intro to, to comic reading. I give it five stars. Five stars. That's excellent. I'm going to have to check that out. You should. It really is a good book. Cool. I myself went a little bit more um, what I'd refer to as old school, um, more of a, uh, a, a down-to-earth. After we covered the Noble Causes, the first uh, trade paperback a couple of weeks ago, was it last time or the time before? It's like two times ago, three times two ago, times something ago, like back that. These seven, podcasts eight are all running together. And if it makes I you feel not. any better, I thought it was <laughs> Thursday all day. Um, I <laughs> Top of my review pile today was Noble Causes, number 33, which is the second issue of sort of a revamp, uh, a revitalization of the Noble Causes title, where the the Noble family, the main family, has jumped five years into the future. Why did and they jump five a, years in the future? Is this just a, a plot to Because tele- seven device? would have been too much. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, issue 31 ended the plot line with the evil Blackthorn family and okay. the Noble's uh, basically clashing and that kind of wrapped up all the extant plot points and then 32 started five years in the future 
And we see that Doc Noble has remarried. Of course, near the end of that last story, I don't want to spoil everything, but Gaia Noble, his wife, was essentially, I won't say ruined as a character, but definitely not a superhero any longer. Ah. Um, mm. And in the future, Doc has re remarried to a woman named Olympia Noble, who has two superpowered children of her own. Uh, one of them had hair of gold, like her mother. And, uh, <laughs> and the other the, was in curls. I think I read exact, that. I think I read that issue. Yeah, and then of course there was the one where Mom always told us not to play with the uh, proton Basketball accelerator in the house. Yeah. Exactly. But the the new blended noble family uh, last issue uh, interacted, and it was it last issue was very evocative of the first issue, and that the youngest noble this time um, Olympia's son, whose name is Serge Noble brought home a perfectly normal, powerless girl to meet the family, mm -hmm. much as Race Noble did years ago. But in this case, everybody thinks, oh, well, this went really well with Liz and everything will be happy. And the first time they thought she was up to no good, it turns out that Serge's girlfriend really is up to no good. She's working for the villains. So yes. this issue mm. starts with some fighting. The art, the new art, I believe the man's name is Yildare Sinar or Yildare Sinar. It's a Turkish name, but he's he's very good. He's very reminiscent of Eric Larson to mm -hmm. me in a way. But it's kind of an old school. It it feels like a Marvel book from the eighties because it starts with the characters in an all out splash panel. They leap into the into the fray and they fight. And of course, afterwards we have the whole noble causes action where the family is essentially celebrity superheroes. And Frost, who used to be the black sheep of the family, is now a respected member of the noble family. Hmm. Uh, Serge's girlfriend basically f fakes Frost attacking her, rips open her top in a scene right out of One Day at a Time, circa 1974, Boobies? screams for help. Boobies? I'm sorry? Boobies? Yeah, exactly. Well, no, do we get to see boobies? <laughs> there's a brassiere involved. Oh, okay. It's an all-ages title. My oh, okay. God. Tonight. <laughs> next next week, it's I'll the cover Italian, the all It's the Italian Spider-Man machismo that's soaking mm. into my... <laughs> it's, it's, it's oozing out of every pore and soaking the carpet and ruining all uh, of our... Salt the weather taffy, not for me. Give me some uh, sky dollar boobies. <laughs> some of the boobies are there. Uh. But, of course, Surge, <laughs> Surge being the youngest noble and having flame powers, immediately doesn't trust Frost. And basically, the issue ends with Surge apparently killing Frost... For uh, seemingly attacking his fake girlfriend, so Interesting. we get we get the big cliffhanger where Frost is essentially melted. But I know uh, I understand if you put the hat back on his head, he'll refreeze and say happy birthday, and everything will just be fine. So um, that was a reference to the Frosty, <laughs> Frosty the Snowman, Snowman cartoon yes. for the old people. Uh, Rodrigo, that came out in 1964. I've seen it. They air it every Christmas. I had to catch it at some point. That, uh, for all you young people out there, uh, snowmen were what we used to do. <laughs> um, overall, I like I like the new direction of Noble Causes, and I, it really did need some sort of rejuvenation. But this issue kind of fell flat for me, simply because there were so many echoes of what happened in those first four issues. Mm -hmm. And I really felt that, you know, Surge immediately not trusting Frost, and immediately, you know, leaping to his girlfriend's defense and nearly killing his stepbrother, it felt a little stilted to me. I didn't, I didn't really care for the whole implied rape angle. I never do, um, mm. whenever it comes up. But overall, I mean, the the art was good, and the story's definitely going somewhere. This piece of the story felt a little incomplete. So I'm going to go with probably two out of five stars. There's a lot of good things going on. And if, I mean, if you're familiar with my reviews, when we get to that second or third piece of a six-part story, 
I always have the same complaint in that you've given me bits of mystery, but you're not giving me anything to go further on. And I think I'm whining on that now. But two out of five stars, a very solid book. Certainly not bad, but not as satisfying as I would have wanted for my three bucks. So so are you that way on all six-issue miniseries? Are you like wishing that a six-issue miniseries would be a three-issue miniseries? The more I do this and the more books that I um, review, I, I find myself falling into a pattern where that first issue or even the first two issues of an arc, I'm usually pretty excited because you'll get that setup and then you'll get, you know, here's some tantalizing tidbits and here's a little bit of action. And then you hit that point where it really feels like, we're stretching to make it a six-issue trade yeah, or to make yeah. sure the trade paperback is long enough. And I'm not saying that's happening necessarily here, but throughout the industry, there's that the whole decompression aspect of storytelling. What used to be Stan and Jack, you know, 10 pages of setup and bang, here's 20 pages of action, is now two issues of setup and then an issue of suspense and then an issue of maybe and then two issues of action. And it... Mm. it, it it does, I don't know, it feels more drawn out. Maybe I'm just an old guy who says comics were better when he was a kid, but if you look at, say, Jack, Stan and Jack, their first four issues of Fantastic Four. Oh, yeah, they covered everything, didn't they? Yeah, they. I mean, they went top to bottom. In four issues, we went, here's the character's origin, here's a fight, here's this, here, now they're changing, and this is their whole backstory, and now they're moving to the city, and now they're setting up the Baxter building, and now they have costumes. By issue five, we were introducing Doctor Doom, and the Fantastic Four was established as a character, because in 1961, that issue had to stand on its own. Mm-hmm. That issue was out on, I mean, it was out at the S&S Drugs, and if the kids didn't buy it and like it, the sales wouldn't be there and the book wouldn't be around. Whereas now, to be frank, a lot of the people who read comics are people like Stephen and I, who have been reading comics for so long that we're going to read them regardless of whether they're good in some cases. Or, <laughs> yeah, uh, unfortunately. Like, I, I, was, I was referring to how Countdown, great it is anyone? Hellblazer. <clears throat> Uh, got good again about six, eight months ago, which is great because there was about a year where I bought Hellblazer and every month I went, why do I buy Hellblazer? Oh, right, because I've always bought yeah. Hellblazer. There's a, there's a couple titles like that with me right now that I'm just like, eh, yeah, well, yeah. there's some good ones and there's some bad ones and I think that's just the nature of the industry. I don't, I don't want to turn into that guy who always whines on, on you know issue three and issue four, you know, wrap this up, but... You know, there comes a point in the story where I feel like we're extending the story on, through unnatural means, or we're extending the story to make sure that it's long enough for a particular trade, and they're not giving me each issue that kick-ass that I want. I don't want to walk. I don't want everything to be crisis number eight. I don't want everything to be the big, you know, Fantastic Four number fifty. You have to have quiet issues. You have to have moments where you're setting the tale and you're you're putting everything together so that when that lightning bolt strikes and the other shoe drops and all the other cliches that I can think of come rolling out of my face. <laughs> crisis, lightning bolt. <laughs> Matthew, exactly. it sounds like you're leading us into or attempting Dun-da-da-da-da-da. to make a segue into question our question of the week. week. <laughs> All right, so the question this week actually came up from our discussion after last week's show, where we were talking about DC Universe and some of the spoiler, you know, uh, thoughts that may have spilled out. The return of Barry Allen is one, but who might exactly Barry Allen be? So, what we thought we'd do is we'd do a major spoilers dramatic reading. From DC Universe Number Zero by Grant Morrison and Jeff Johns, the part of Libra will be played by Steven Schleicher, and the part of the Barry Allen voiceover will be played by Matthew Peterson. That's 
Due to death, the part of Bailey Allen will be played by me. Thank you. <laughs> it opens in a room with rogues gathered around the table with Libra at the head of the table. Let's face it, the secret society's a toothless shadow of its former glory. You boys have been through hell. You've been demoralized and humiliated. But I'm here to help you change all that, because make no mistake, there is a god. There's a new god whose name the bad men can offer up their prayers and he will answer. There's great news. All who follow me in his name will be granted their heart's desire. You want a hero killed? We can do it. You want better powers? Sign on the dotted line and they're yours. Believe in him. That's all he asks. And that, my friends, is only the beginning. My bid for leadership of the secret society of supervillains. There is a sound. Do a I sound. hear a hallelujah? <laughs> a sound like the crack of doom. Like a starter's pistol. And this is me. All right. Dun, dun, dun. scene. All right, so dun dun dun. Yay, all right. Good job. Did guys. I do that all right? That's a that's I try a to be first supportive of these two. <laughs> <laughs> that's a first reading there. I kind of stumbled over my lines. You were kind of going a little Elmer Gantry there. I kind of yeah. like that. Anyway, so the whole the whole thing that's been all over a lot of the message boards, major spoilers for him, Matthew is convinced of this. Is in, and, and set this up, Matthew. I mean, tell us what's the deal? Why do you think Libra is not Libra? There's a certain reason why you think this. Correct. If you look at DC Universe number zero as a whole, you start at the very beginning with the mysterious voiceover, and it says, this is me. Then we cut through, and we see all of the characters. You go through, and it, it's kind of like a flip book. It Are you talking us, into your mic there, dude? Because you all of a sudden lost your, your audience. Uh, hello? There you go. Am I back? Sorry, I yeah, looked yeah, away yeah. from the camera. All right. But it goes, it goes through. You start with issue one, and it goes through literally the history of some of the DC Universe and some of the things that have happened, the crisis, crises leading up to this point. The first hint that really threw me was we're talking, uh, the, at one point we're talking about Hal Jordan and the, the voiceover character thinks about how Hal personally told him something. Right. And at that point, you'll look at the, the, the balloons start in black, the, the voiceover, the thought bubbles or in this case the caption boxes start black and this is the page where they switch from black to red yeah they start to make this transition almost like a vertical swipe uh, exactly uh, from black to red and and i guess what jeff johns has done really well in several of his tales is taking the characters whose thoughts we're reading and coloring them a very specific way for that character. So like Superman might have a red box with yellow lettering. Batman might have a blue box with yellow lettering and so on. And there's, there's a point where they're talking about Superman and the character says, he always told me to call him Clark. Right. Didn't he? So we're dealing with someone who seems to know Superman, who seems to know Green Lantern. We get to the point where we see a figure enshrouded in lightning bolts falling in basically falling through some sort of infinity we cut straight to libra mm -hmm. and the the black the black line or the black boxes are slowly wiping all the way to red at the point where libra says this is me well or rather, it's not no the, where the, the voice where the voiceover says this is me there's a close up of libra's face and if you look there's a ghost image in that red box of a yellow lightning bolt right Jeff Johns loves to personalize those boxes. That little lightning bolt, this is me, to me, reads as a hint. 
We look at Libra and the character... And it's an extreme close-up on his face. We've got the panel up on the major spoiler site, and we're putting it up there under fair use because uh, uh, the panel doesn't exist, and we're using it for commentary purposes, so it does fall underneath that DC, so don't sue us. <laughs> on the next page, we see Again. the boxes. The box has gone completely red, and there's clearly a lightning bolt, and you see Barry Allen's symbol in the sky, the lightning bolt across right, the moon. Right. And well, at that point, here's, here's the thing that gets me. Now, I, I don't want to get too far into history, and I don't want to steal anybody's thunder here, but Barry Allen basically threw himself back in time to save the universe and kind of dispersed into the ether. Right. And the last, the, the last and really the only appearance of the character Libra in Justice League of America, number 111, way back in 1973, he was at the end of that issue. Essentially, he was made one with the cosmos. He was dispersed amongst the ether. And I'm wondering if, because of that black to red wipe, and because of the confusion of the character, I'm wondering if somehow Barry and Libra aren't combined, aren't one person. If you know, I'm not saying that Barry Allen is the only person in the Libra costume, but I'm almost certain that part of Barry Allen is Libra. Well, I think it's interesting because, you know, on that on that particular page, like a starter's pistol and this is me, there's this extreme close-up and the eyes that we see, they could have used any color eyes, but the eyes are blue. And that was Barry Allen's eyes. I mean, he had these blue eyes, just like if the eyes had been gold, then we would right. have known that that would have been impulse or something like that. Right. Mm. Uh, but and had these, they been green, it could have been... Um, anybody. Near well, on. green is actually, what's his face? The current Flash. Oh, you know, the old uh, guy. Wally West? Wally West had green eyes. Is, is that how you tell them apart because they all wear the same costume? Well, and also the costume yeah. slight changes to the all costume. Right. I know, nerds. One of the things that ever since Jeff has been writing the book, he has made it clear that Wally has green eyes, Bart has gold, and Barry had blue. And that that's, I mean, that's a very important thing. It's been used in the past as uh, when, when Impulse returned from beyond the Speed Force in Infinite Crisis. The point was made that, yes, it was Barry's costume, but he had gold eyes, so it had to be Bart. Right. Mm. It's something that Johns has used previously, and it's one of his trademarks. So let me offer up a few other suggestions. So we've got uh, up for our question of the week, we've got who is Libra? And answer A is, of course, Libra, the character just returned. Uh, answer B is Barry Allen, who Matthew thinks that it's Barry Allen. Let me Correct. offer up a couple other suggestions. Uh, <laughs> Cobalt Blue. Cobalt Blue. What do you think of that, Matthew? Cobalt Blue would be the twin brother of Barry Allen. Malcolm colored eyes. Yes. Uh, he accidentally killed a child be belonging to Charlene Thawne, the doctor that delivered uh, Barry and his brother. To cover the mistake, he gave Malcolm to the Thawnes and, and told the Allens that one of the twins had been stillborn. Um, you know, one of the many appearances of, of Cobalt Blue, he always wears this blue jewel in his, uh, in his chest. And right. we've seen him many times um, – in some of the Flash stories, probably the last time that we saw him was in the Chain Lightning series. Yeah. And the, the, the evil twin is a possibility. I honestly don't remember what happened to Cobalt Blue at the end of Chain Lightning, but if, if memory serves and, you know, he had, he had Flash powers, he probably just blew up into the ether. That's what Flashes do. It's like, you know, goldfish float to the top of the tank. Flashes just sort of burst into the time stream and float. Well, I guarantee you there's going to be another Flash that dies during uh, Final Crisis. Because there wouldn't be a crisis without, uh, without a, uh, a Flash. If they dying. killed Jay, I'm going to New York. I'm taking <laughs> peanut butter. I was, I was disappointed that they killed uh, 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 Max uh, 
Uh, Max Mercury. Yeah, Max Mercury. Okay, so the uh, fourth answer that you have to choose from is Mm -hmm. the very first reverse flash, Eobard Thawne. Eobard Thawne. Any thoughts on that? It's a possibility. Uh, Thawne was from the 25th century, from the future. Right. So technically, even though he is quote-unquote dead the last time we saw him, there's nothing that precludes him from coming back from the future to a point in time after the point when we last saw him, at which point he was dead before he was ever born. True. So, I mean, it's definitely possible. Let me point to this little tidbit of of information of why uh, Thawne Reverse Flash might be this impersonator, because we saw him try to impersonate Barry Allen in uh, the Return of Barry Allen storyline right. in the Flash number seventy four through seventy nine, which also introduced us to Garner Fox, I believe, as the uh, other Flash from the future, John uh, Fox. John Fox. I'm sorry. Um, so you know, there's four possible people. All of them could be very high possibilities. We want to find out your answer. Head over to the Major Spoilers website and vote. You'll find it over in the right hand column called the Major Spoilers poll. Who is under Libra's hood, is it Libra, Barry Allen, Cobalt Blue, or the Reverse Flash? You need an E section for all of the above, or none of the above. And well, let you people- know, some people have been saying that you know Libra is all about balance. So you know, it could partly be because both he and Barry Allen dispersed into the ether at the end of their appearances that they right. could have coalesced and have the same both of them in the same body. So mm, Libra is right. all about balance. So you have Libra who's evil. And then you have right. Barry Allen, who's uh, good, and they're balancing right. each other out in the in the single body. So who knows? Definite- I'm confused. It's going to be an interesting, interesting. Uh, it's going to be an interesting run to see if what's really going on there. Interesting run. That's a good flash pun. Aha, didn't even plan it there. Anyway, moving oh. on. We've got a few minutes left. <laughs> Okay, so one of these things that I really like doing on this show is covering trade paperbacks, things that people really might be interested in reading if they can't go out and buy their single issues every week. Some people might be on a budget, and you can always find some great trade paperbacks that collect a whole run of uh, of a series. And Rodrigo's been naming off some really good ones lately. He suggested last week that we all pick up Wanted by Mark Miller, J.G. Jones, and Paul Mounts. And since it's a movie that's coming up this summer, I believe, Mm -hmm. uh, I thought, sure, why don't we go ahead and take a look at it? Uh, This is the description from Amazon.com, and if you want, you can go and buy it up there. Um, What if everything in your life was out of your hands and those around you propelled your fate? Your girlfriend left you for your best friend. Your boss gave you your job to someone better. What if then, after all of this, someone gave you back total control? What if he revealed you were part, uh, you were next in line to join a secret society of supervillains that controlled the entire planet? Mark Miller and J.G. Jones provide a look at one man who goes from being the world's biggest loser to the deadliest assassin alive. And, you know, first I'm reading that, I'm like, man, this is the story of my life right here. (laughs) So who wants to begin? Uh, You know, you know that this is not, and I got to tell you, this is not an all ages title. And you know that from the very first page of Bring On the Bad Guys, where there's this uh, hoochie mama uh, with her legs spread and just finishing up getting it on with uh, with the protagonist's uh, best friend. And you know that this is not good for this guy. This guy is pathetic. Every day he eats the same sandwich. He works in the same office where... Uh, his boss just totally berates him. He gets off at the bus stop, and there's these guys that spit on him and chase him down and try to beat him up uh, every day from mm. work. There's this, and just he lives with just a miserable, pathetic life. Yeah, 
One of the things that Miller really does successfully is he sets us up to not like the main character and not even, I mean, we're not even, uh, to me, meant to sympathize with him. We're supposed to look at this character and say, this is the, this is the ridiculous sham of a life that he lives. This is the best that he's willing to try for, to the point where where it, it makes you almost cheer when you find out, oh, yeah, he, he's going to be the world's greatest supervillain. Normally something that you might look at and go, well, that's not a good idea at all. So but let's... His, his life is so pathetic, you want him to be the killer. Yeah, and we contrast this with the introduction of this guy called, uh, what is his name, the Hunter? The Killer. The Killer, I'm sorry. <laughs> hunter. Starts off, he's living this life of luxury, he's having homosexual sex, he's talking about, oh, this is, I don't do this all the time, it's just for f fun, and don't mind the video camera, and then all of a sudden these laser beams point on his face and then the action just all breaks out and there is gore and guts as people are getting blown away as people are trying to kill the killer and you know he chases them down he you know this is what i like I, i'm going to mention this again but this is what i really like about i think it's paul mounts who did all of the art in this series am i correct in it's saying that jg jones jg jones okay and uh, colors by uh, uh, Paul Mounts. Uh, but J.G. Jones does this really cool thing where he kind of references, and that's something that I'll, I'll touch on a little bit later, is he kind of references superhero characters that we know from other series. In fact, if you look at the killer as he's running across the side of a building to track down these people that are opening fire on him, he's wearing Spider-Man's boots. Yeah. And that's something that gets brought up later as to why probably the killer has yeah, has, has some of these powers. Yeah. So, uh, well, maybe not Spider-Man, but Venom, since they're black, I don't know. But he he corners these guys and he takes them out and he's he's basically saying, you know, I'm the world's best killer. How dare you guys think you could take care of me? And and one of the guys that he shot in the leg is like, you know, you're right. We're decoys. And boom, the killer's head gets blown off. Yeah. And then we cut to a. Uh, cut to a funeral where all these different characters are talking and you got to love some of these characters i mean just to give you an idea of how raw this comic is one of the characters names is shithead yeah and he's literally <laughs> a pile of shit yep but that's what and we've I always put an explicit tag on this too yeah yeah well and see that's the other thing all of these characters that we see in here you can say oh yeah there's so-and-so oh there's so-and-so later on when we see uh and I don't know which book it is, but there's a scene where you, it's just a bunch of villains all together. You know, you look in the background. Oh, look, there's uh, the Scarlet Witch. Oh, look, there's uh, Mr. Freeze. Oh, uh, look, there's so-and-so. Like, you see there's Vulture Shadowhawk. kicking around, yeah. Abomination, Magneto. They're all kind of hidden around. So right. it turns out that this lowly guy, our protagonist, Wesley Gibson, um, he goes into a, a cafe or something to get something to eat. And this uh, beautiful woman comes up behind him and says, you know what? You're coming with me. You're, you've just won the lottery, essentially. You're going to be a multimillionaire. And he's like, yeah, whatever, lady. And, and she basically says, oh, you don't believe me? And she just kills everybody in, in this restaurant. Dead. It's pretty cool. It's pretty <laughs> raw. Yeah. And, and, the, and the book just continues like that. Um, she gets... Uh... She basically explains to Wesley what's going on, and it's this huge conspiracy, um, which it really becomes kind of the spine of this whole thing is, uh, you know, he's next in line. They want him to be the new killer. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, his dad. It, yeah, it, come, it turns it, out that the killer was his dad. Right. And they're, he's like, well, I've never fired a gun in my life. And they're like, no, apparently the killer's killing ability was genetic. So why don't you try to kill these uh, like flies. five flies yeah. at once with one shot right. or something like that? So he does it and he realizes that he's a killer. He goes through a lot of training. It's uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really cool because, you know, there's this, you know, uh, Wesley's telling this woman, her, her name is the Fox. Uh, and she is a fox, I must say. Uh, she's <laughs> like, well, how, you know, you just killed all these people. You're going to get in trouble. She's like, no, as long as I'm wearing this little pin, this little insignia that tells me that I'm part of the fraternity, then no one can touch me. The cops won't touch me. Everything will be covered up. And they go to this yep. underground lair where everybody is walking around in their supervillain costumes. And Wesley just can't believe this. I mean, he goes through weeks and months of training uh, to be the perfect killer. And along the way, we discovered that. At some point, the villains decided, hey, instead of, you know, just a few of this, a few of us trying to take on a superhero, instead of, you know, 10 of us trying to take on the Justice League, why don't every supervillain in the entire world join together for one big thing and slaughter every single superhero in the world? Mm -hmm. And they do, and they succeed. And then they use magic and and, uh, mind wiping and computers to cover everything up so everyone forgets that there was ever such a thing as a superhero. And the supervillains essentially are running the world. And the thing that's interesting to me is this predates the secret society in DC Comics in their current incarnation. And it predates a lot of the things that we're seeing now in more mainstream titles. But Mm -hmm. it it takes the example of you've got, you know, 30 or 40 or 50 completely amoral people, and it gives you a world that makes sense that these people created. I mean, they, they don't, uh, Miller and Jones do not pull any punches. No, the, they do not. The blood is uh, right there on panel, and the perversity is there on panel. And, you know, the the Clayface character made out of, of, of shit, and the Bizarro character being named Fuckwit. Yes. It's, it's almost to the point where they're really piling everything in and saying, this is, I mean, this is what we're going to do. So We are going to take this to the point where it goes too far, then we're going to take it a step beyond that, and we're going to justify everything we've done. So let's speculate for a moment before we continue on with the story. Let's look at and see who could these people be possibly in their alternate uh, comic book universe. The killer, uh, Wesley Gibson, or his father. Who would that be? Is that Deathstroke or is that the Punisher? I would say either Deathstroke or Bullseye. Okay. Oh, Bullseye. Good, good one. The Fox, the female character. Catwoman. Catwoman, obviously. Sleeping with the detective. Yep. Uh, Professor Solomon Seltzer, even though he looks a lot like uh, Christopher Lloyd from Back to the Future. I think he's supposed to be Lex Luthor. He's oh, the, okay. the Luthor. The Luthor Savannah type, the mad scientist who hates that iconic super character. So. Now, one of the things that happened uh, once the villains took over the planet is they broke into essentially crime families and essentially big mob families. And they broke into five, and the Council of Five each took... A continent. So you have uh, Adam One, who I thought was a very interesting character. He's mm-hmm. the world's oldest man. Took over Africa, and I see that as uh, as uh, what's his name from uh, DC Comics, um, Vandal uh, Savage. Vandal Savage, uh-huh. right? You've got Professor Solomon Seltzer, who got North and South America, who we already said is is essentially the Lex Luthor. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got the Future, who's a savage Nazi guy who took over Europe. Who is he? So I would say uh, uh, maybe a Kang the Conqueror type from the Marvel side. DC's 
Probably their closest analog might be Abracadabra from the oh, 16th okay. century. Okay. Mm. And the emperor, who's a Chinese crime lord who took over Asia. Do we have anything like that? Is that the, well, ma- the only, Mandarin? The only, the only thing There's... I can think of is either the Mandarin or the horrible slew of totally racist well, uh, true. Oh. villains that were popping both out of Marvel and DC, you know. And On then... the DC side of the fence, there was, um, oh, God, now I can't remember his name. Ah, Dar. To it Wong there Fu, was, thanks for everything, I believe was his name. There was the Yellow Claw, there was right. the, the Fu Manchu himself, who appeared in Master of Kung Fu. So, I mean, basically just that Yellow Peril archetype. Okay, mm-hmm. and then the guy that's got the short end of this stick is Mick, Mr. Rictus, who got stuck with Australia. And he's pretty much fed up with dealing with, you know, surfers and aborigines all day, is yeah. the way he says it. I see that as Black Mask. See, I'm looking at him, and I'm thinking it's it's got as elements of Joker, elements of Black Mask. Oh, true. Okay. I, I looked at Mr. Rictus, and I went, this is Joker. And yes, he's the greatest of Batman's foes, but if you put him up against your Luthor, you put him up against your Vandal Savage, he is the least of those great villains in mm-hmm. some way, and I he, mean, the others could push him around. He is by far the most evil, just not, but not the smartest. Right. But not the most powerful so maybe it is, either. Maybe Joker. Yeah. Although, you know what I was thinking? The future could be the Red Skull, oh, even yeah, though he doesn't look like him. There you go. Dollmaster, Toy toy Man. Yeah. Right. Uh, great character. I, that is, I, I like that character. That is probably by far my favorite character Because, in the book. you know, he's, he doesn't come off as... I mean, he's a, he's a villain, obviously. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't right. come off as, you know, the evil bastard villain that we always think of. Because one of the things that happens is when they mind-wiped everybody, the only people that remember what had happened were the villains. Mm-hmm. So right. in the case of, of Dollmaster, he actually has a family. He has a wife and kids who don't know what his secret identity is, who don't know that he's a villain. And in fact, it goes to the point where his wife thinks that that she's that, that he's, he's having an affair. Him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so it, it's really interesting uh, from that point. Yeah, I did. I did like his character because he eventually comes around and kind of does something to help kind of save the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shithead we've already mentioned is is Clayface. Fuckwit mm-hmm. is uh, Bizarro. We've got <laughs> Sucker who is Parasite. Right? Mm-hmm. right? Or is there a Marvel equivalent of of Parasite? Well, there's like um, Sink back in Generation X, but he's a good guy. Yeah, but he's terrible. Those are probably um, the big. <laughs> wasn't there? Rogue. There's a mix. What's the Mixelplick oh, character? It could be Rogue. Oh, that's Imp. Uh, is the yep. Mister Mixelplick character? There was a Mixelplick character, and there was a Penguin character. Yeah, there's, there's just um, oh, and there's kind of a of... Poison Ivy character yeah. too. The yeah, the, Mister. The, the, the reason that I thought Mister Rictus was the Joker because it was Mister Rictus's gang was Batman villains, because Shithead is Clayface. Right, right. Mm. And they had the girl with the poison ivy thing, and there was the the, the scarecrow guy. Yeah, you're right. Um, you know, it, it looked like, basically, these are Batman's villains, and they got screwed, and here they are in Australia, where we keep the crazy people. Speaking of Batman, so, yeah. I really love the reference of how they pretty much killed all of the superheroes, except for yeah. a few. Mm-hmm. One of them, uh, two of them think that they were television stars, yeah, and they right. live together, and it, it's referencing, of course, Batman and Robin. Adam West really was Batman. And another, another you know, nod to that, we're going to take this too far, the Superman character is in a wheelchair. Yeah. Is that you Superman? That- I thought that that was Batman, because, you know, they were told, the villains were all told that they had to destroy Everything yeah. related to the superhero and right. the Lex Luthor, uh, Sinister Seltzer or whatever his name is, Professor Seltzer, he keeps this cape mm-hmm. locked away that just reminds you it's a red cape. It's got to be Superman kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. But he's also the one who talks about his uh, arch nemesis now being in a 
oh, like a retirement home yeah, okay. or something right. in a wheelchair. There's a Brainiac 13 character that appears, the the green android with the the dreadlocks. It's just so great to go flip through here and go, oh, there's that mm. character. Oh, there's that character without really saying right. that this is that character sort because of- I guarantee you this kind of thing would not have gone over at DC, not even in the Wildstorm line uh, well, where oh. they got rid of the boys. It's, it's kind of funny. It's kind of like a... a as far as that sense, it's kind of like a modern day Watchmen because all of the characters from Watchmen were supposedly going right. to be DC characters, right. you know, like Rorschach was yeah, going to be the, the question Charlton and characters, yeah, stuff like that. So, what do evil villains do when they've conquered everything and they can pretty much do everything? Whatever perverted thing they can think of, including jumping to other dimensions. And yeah. this is really and cool because basically they basically raiding other dimensions. Yeah, they go and raid other dimensions. Every couple of years they go and they pick a world and they go and raid it and it's again very much the multiverse which as you said a moment ago Rodrigo with the uh, Spider-Man boots, maybe that's where they got the Spider-Man boots yeah. from. It's just it's just so cool to uh to see all this stuff. Um and I just love the raid and and so Wesley gets becomes a better and better killer and he's just really going out and being a badass mm-hmm. he doesn't he's a total reversal of of what he was before and then the meeting of the five the the uh the crime lords all meet together and essentially uh they have to decide whether they're going to go public or if they're going to stay hidden and of course the vote is essentially three to two in favor of staying hidden right and this just really- like every year because uh, uh mr richter's brings it ever up every year because he wants yep. it he wants the fame he wants to he wants the world to know who the, his uh evil overlord is yeah he and, wants he wants to go public and every every year he gets voted down so his plan is kill them all yeah. you know and it's just it, it just goes into this whole there's this great scene where uh fuckwit is uh seltzer's driver and of course you have to talk in reverse to him and everything and so he drops wesley off one night and then he's telling fuckwit okay don't take me to my home don't do this and he's like what's the matter aren't you paying attention and then all of a sudden fuckwit turns into shithead and just drowns him in his own stuff right and then you know all hell's going loose and then in fact uh rictus takes over uh, that family and starts killing everybody who was on Seltzer's side, including trying to take down Fox and, and Wesley, the new killer. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Wesley being the best killer of them all, he pretty much is slaughtering his way through every supervillain that there is. Yeah. And it's and it's pretty cool how he does it, too. Uh, mm-hmm. When he kills Shithead, he blows a big hole in him and Shithead's like, don't you know I can reconstitute myself? And then Wesley pulls out this bottle of bleach and says, uh-uh, not with this. And they pretty much just wipe him out that way. And just going through these uh, killer – or going through these supervillains is very, very cool, even to the point where he takes out Rictus and everyone mm-hmm. that's there. And he's doing it because he doesn't want to be that mama's boy that everybody called him when he was growing up. Yep. Uh, you know, this the he story is, just keeps building this, and building. Throughout this whole thing, Wesley's trying to figure out who it was that offed his dad. Right. Who killed the killer? And, right. and he thinks it's Rictus. And in fact, there are some hints that some of the villains are playing Wesley so that he will go ahead and just kill Rictus and get rid of him. Right. And, you know, there's a strong, there are strong uh, indications that it might have actually been the fox, you know, True, who, because, who becomes Wesley's girlfriend. Right, because basically. she was sleeping with the original killer, and mm-hmm. she thought she was going to inherit all of his money. Right. In fact, Wesley did. And and but it turns out, do we give this part away? It's kind of a big part of the story. But the, the I don't know if we should. I mean, we're uh, major we spoilers, but we're not complete spoilers. Let's just think- say that Wesley comes to know his father, and he's given the choice. 
become yeah. his father fully or go back to his other life. And he says, ah, to hell with it. And he goes all out and becomes his, his father. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the, the dark side is strong with this one. There's yes. this great piece at the end where he's essentially talking to the reader you know, he's, he says, are you happy now? Are you pleased to see the mysteries resolved? Little old me getting the girl, the, the cash, and ending our story as one of the secret masters of the world. God, you're such a blank and blank and blank and blank and blank. <laughs> and, you know, he starts yeah, telling this you this stuff. And is rated R. Yeah, there's an explicit tag on here. So anyway, but he's just essentially going on and saying, yeah, you, you, you. And, and it's almost pushing the reader. Mm-hmm. And there may be some people out there that are on the verge that read this and would go, you're right, I'm killing everybody, and just yeah. goes out and does it because you know that's but what you've always wanted. You've always wanted to tell off your lost, boss. That is where they lost me because when you look at the the book as a whole, I, I loved it and it was awesome. But in a way, you can read it kind of as an indictment of the whole hero versus villain concept. And it, mm-hmm. it's another, you know, it's it's kind of another way of saying, wow, this is kind of childish. And if it were done in reality, or if we were to take it to its logical extreme, if these people really were evil, it would be, you know, a short fight with a bloody end. And it, it seemed to me like we went through this whole thing and we set it up to where the villains win. And then, and I felt it was the writer talking, not necessarily the character. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Then they're like, Ha! Yeah, screw you. The good guys didn't win, you fucker. Go live in your mother's basement and do whatever you do. And that was the point where it became it became obvious to me that there was an experimental nature. There was an experimental quality well, in the book from the very beginning. But I, at that point, it was obviously an artistic statement meant to try and drag us in, whether anger us, whether you know make yeah. us defensive, whatever. Well, and I think that's kind of my feeling on the story is... How can I root for somebody who is the bad guy? I mean, he's evil. And I mean, the Secret Six, the uh, uh, the Suicide Squad over in DC, I really can't get behind them unless they're changing for the better, which you know, Suicide Squad, you could, you could say maybe they are. But Secret Six, they're really not changing to become. They're still going to always be bad guys. I just can't get behind them because they're evil. Well, uh, I, and I think that, you know, this book, the, the statement that this book is trying to make is you know i've i've met a lot of people who actually don't like their lives i'm pretty happy with the way with my life true you know i got friends i got family i like nobody's trying to screw me the way that people were screwing this character but there are people who are in a bad place i think this is the comic for them this is the escape for them this is who it's meant for um as someone who's a little bit more um stable i read this comic and i have a good time right and i agree with matthew the the last thing where basically the author just kind of opens up that fourth wall and punches me in the face that was yeah. kind of raw i mean i was, was sitting there reading and i was like oh my god i mean this well, is know, like i'd it, say about three feet lower on that punch rodrigo well, yeah. true it was and, a nut shot from gay one and 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 i you know i i think to myself you know it's kind of the classic thing is show me don't tell me you know if, if you're gonna tell me the story you just went through this entire story and gave me this thing where i'm thinking like you know maybe you know there is something more to life maybe a little nihilism doesn't uh doesn't hurt and then it's like oh by the way if you didn't get it that's what i was doing right well right. in fact the final page of the whole series is wesley flipping off the reader mm. saying there you go yeah you know and i'm wondering you know a lot of people I'm going to make kind of a a big jump here, but a lot of people look at some of uh, 
Frank Miller's latest work, especially with Batman in The Dark Knight Returns and the all-star adventures of Batman mm-hmm. and Robin as essentially his screw you to the reader, mm-hmm. screw you comic book people. Um, is that kind of how Miller and, and Johns are, are going at here? Are they essentially saying, you guys take this stuff way too seriously, you know, get off your high horse and, and relax, go outside? I don't. Th- I don't think it's quite that. I don't. I don't. I didn't feel the uh, the ire towards comic book nerds, right? Necessarily, um, that might that might have been there somewhere, but I didn't feel it. I think it's it, it's it's an attack on people that let people walk all over them. Mm, okay, and and I think that's that's who they were trying to to hit with this. I can definitely agree with that. I think there was uh, one of the things that you know strikes you from page one is. Uh, Wesley is essentially starting the story emasculated, and it, it comes back where he's doing all the the stereotypical macho things. He's got the hot girl, and he's got a gun, and he's shooting people, and he's you know driving around in a giant phallic symbol. And it really takes it to the extreme where you're kind of you know it's kind of like the Ted Nugent school of shoot it, kill it, and eat it. But it, it, I looked at that as you know standard middle American comic guy with no real exercise, and I thought, yeah. I can get behind this. This is interesting. It's, 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 you know, it's got a story behind it that I don't necessarily agree with. And I didn't ever root for Wesley precisely Mm because man's a jackass. But throughout the story, I looked at it and I went, well, this is a compelling story. And I want to see, you know, if he gets to the end, does he get his comeuppance? Does he win? I mean, where is this going to go? And how the ride was as important as the destination. But then we got to the destination and it, you know, it, it turned out to be a punch in the crotch and a "Hey, screw you!" And uh, by the way, thanks for the twenty dollars. Hey, I, all I'm saying is, I loved reading this from beginning to end, and I would oh. read it four or five more times. Mm-hmm. It is that really good of a story. I was just wondering, at you know, this whole idea of can we really root for a villain who, in the end, the bad guy wins? Oh, absolutely, because there are no good guys in this book. Right. You know, everybody, every, it's like... There's not even shades of gray. Yeah, you. there's, uh, it's like, you can get invested in whatever character you want, first off, and you, you, you kind of have that choice. It's like, who, who am I rooting for here? The Professor, the Fox, Wesley... Mr. Richter's, you can pick anybody because they're all jerks and they're all going to try to kill each other. And then, you know, maybe your guy wins at the end. And if he doesn't, he had it coming anyway. Yeah. So it's actually kind of a liberating um, thing of, you know, there isn't anybody here who has the moral high ground. They're all just shooting at each other because they're trying to survive. Yeah, and you know, we one of the things that we want to do with these trade paperbacks is because we're trying to review things that have been out for a while and that you, the listener, have probably read as well. And we want to incorporate a lot of your feedback into the show as well. And so uh, I was soliciting some feedback from people, and Hermit wrote in and said, I first read the story when the floppies were coming out. Being a fan of Miller already with Trouble, Ultimate X-Men, and Ultimates, I knew I'd like it, and I did. My favorite part is where Wesley goes back to his old neighborhood after his training. It's just like his F.U. attitude and all the way he tells it uh, tells it like it is to everybody, culminating killing the old man that was just giving him hassle. In real life, that would be a bad thing. But in this comic book, you deal with it. The ending surprised me a little bit, and for a while I didn't know what to think about it, but I've made my peace with it and came to the conclusion that Miller was just telling us we should go out and do something useful with our lives. I always put off buying the trade, but when the hardcover Assassin's Edition came out, I couldn't pass it up. This is a great book with tons of bonus and cover gallery features. Every trade should have one. Even the paperback 
uh, I, has, I love has this paperback. This is great. This is like uh, from Top Cow. It's like twenty bucks. The the and sorry to interrupt, but the uh, the paperback has all this great stuff, including basically the cover gallery, the yeah, bios and, on all the characters, and all of these characters drawn by um, various artists. Various think, artists: yeah. John Romita Senior or Junior, um, Brian Michael Bendis. Yeah. Matthew, you want to do Hercules's uh, comment, or do you have that one? Yeah, I got it here. Um, let me bring it up here. Hercules actually kind of echoed my points. He, he said, uh, read the whole thing recently, found it to be a great little read. Despite the one huge annoyance, I don't like the protagonist, Wesley, at any stage of his development. And I agree with that. Uh, he says it's a blessing and a curse because the other characters can take equal billing throughout the book. So you have the moment where, you know, the fox is the driving force of the story. Or, right. you know, Mr. Rictus is the driving force. But the question that he asks is, is the book extreme just for the sake of being extreme? He says he has a similar issue with books like The Authority and with Preacher, both which very enjoyable, but every once in a while you find, and this is a great phrase, so I want to repeat it, you find a brick in the fourth wall coming loose and you can peer through at the writer putting in bizarre or confrontational situations with a child's tantrum-like desperation. Mm-hmm. That is that is so apt about mm-hmm. some of the things. And he says the story's still a winner, but it touches on the mirror superheroes topic that we complained about last time where everyone has an analog. Here's our Batman character. Here's our Superman character. Right, right. Mm-hmm. He says he has trepidations about how well it's going to translate to film. Yeah, you know, I wanted to kind of bring that up because I got to tell you, this is not the – this wanted that I read in the trade paperback is in no way going to be close no. To what we see on the silver screen. In and fact, if you go and read the uh, description of the movie, you know Wesley finds out he's part of the greatest heroes of all time. Yeah, really? there's there's no way they could translate this to a mainstream film. A successful comic book sells what fifty thousand copies. If you did fifty thousand viewers on the first weekend of a movie, you'd roll off the end of the pier and never be heard from again. Although honestly, if they did translate this exactly. This could really still be a very kick-ass book because, I mean, we've watched Bonnie and Clyde. We've loved movies like Dog Day Afternoon. Uh, we've loved all of these characters that are bad guys and have rooted for them. I don't know why this couldn't be done the way it is. I mean, I, I think anybody who picks up this comic is, you know, somebody who is brand new to comics is probably not going to pick up Wanted. This no. comic absolutely counts on the fact that you have a basis on superheroes, superhero storylines, and all this other stuff that builds up this world. Otherwise, you know, pieces start to fall away. The main story still remains. Right. Movie-going audiences aren't necessarily going to have that. And I, as I was reading this, I was like, well, is could this really be a fraternity of supervillains? The only way that they could do this is to take away the superhero supervillain aspect and say here's a fraternity of Of essentially super organized criminals right and super criminals essentially um you Mm. know high tech magic whatever do not mention superheroes say that they killed every last uh obstacle in their way maybe make a little hint for it for the fans right um but from that description like you know if they're actually supposed to be good guys then yeah that's a different that's a different that's book. what's up on yeah. the uh, imdb right now with the description saying that they're heroes i was going to copy and paste it into our, our uh, notes for today um but i just can't see that what i'm reading in these pages is what we're going to see on the screen i don't well, see angelina jolie putting on a little pair of fox ears 
Mm-hmm. And prancing around in a bustier and uh, leather pants, although I wouldn't I, mind I seeing that. I see that quite clearly right <laughs> I now. I see it every yeah. night when I go to sleep. <laughs> She's she's also got some whipped cream and something. Ah, that, all right, all right. We said what? the podcast was rated R. <laughs> R for retarded. We're, yeah, pretty much. Sorry, We're straight. That was dangerous. inappropriate, and I apologize. But I'm just saying that even some of the special effects characters, like I'm trying to figure out who does. Um, oh, what's his name? The um, who are the other people um, playing in the movie? Oh. um... Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman's going to be the professor. Okay, so he's going to be Seltzer. Okay, and who's? I mean, are they going to actually have CG characters of of shithead? And probably they're not. probably not. It's going to. I'll give you a dollar if either shithead or fuckwit makes it into the movie. I, I bet you that those words appear in the movie, but I bet you I the know. characters. I don't do know. Not. They might not. They yeah, they might, might just call this guy hey, you fuckwit. You know, quit messing around. Or yeah. hey, you shithead, get over here. You know that kind of stuff. But it's not going to be you know this guy that's a rolling mound of feces i mean kevin smith did that in uh oh, the excremental <laughs> yeah the excremental i mean that worked out really well but it's not going to translate yeah. into this this movie that because they've got angelina <laughs> jolie in it it's mm-hmm. going to sell a lot of tickets i think oh, i'm not- just saying if i had an army of five-eyed shit men i could take <laughs> over the world nice one one thing that i kind of didn't like about the art um i found the fact that it was um Eminem and um, Halle oh, Berry true. throughout yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. And Distracting. Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. I Tommy Lee Jones, where was that. he? Where Tommy was Lee he? Jones was the, the original killer. Mm. Oh, okay. I, I complained about that when they did it in Thunderbolts, and it, it was... Less it, w- it was less deceptive here. It was less distracting simply because mm-hmm. you can see Eminem being this big of a, of a douchebag. Pardon my French. Mm-hmm. It's too late now. I shouldn't Explicit even bother. Explicit tag. This, you can see Eminem being this big of a D-bag, even from the point where he starts out as, you know, the wussy little jerk, and then he becomes the overbearing giant jerk. I, I mean, I could see him playing that character, whereas if you look at some of the stunt casting, like Tommy Lee Jones as Norman Osborn, I can't yeah. see him as a cackling maniac working for the government. But you know, the well, characters here seem to be well chosen. I could see the actors playing those parts if they were actually, you know... Right. And, you know, everybody loves Nick Fury as uh, Sam Jackson. Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury. I, I kind of didn't. I was like, seriously, okay, I'm, I'm, obviously I'm okay with, you ultimate know, ultimate, universe. Nick, ultimate Fury uh, being black, but don't I get a choice in who I think he True. should be, you know? Well, it, that it, goes back to takes... the discussion that we've had before about Alex Ross in everything that he does that, oh, this person is so-and-so, and this person is Clark Gable, and this person is Patrick Stewart, and mm-hmm. this person is so-and-so. So, Although it didn't work that way with Tony Stark and uh, and Pierce Brosnan or, or whoever that they right. he painted into uh, Marvels. He yeah. always paints Pierce Brosnan as Iron Man. Uh, so I'm going to give Wanted... I'm really going to give this four and a half out of five stars. I liked it that much and thought it was that compelling of a story. Um, I give it, I'll, I'll give it three. Um, I think it's absolutely solid, but there's enough little things that kind of, yeah, that, that, that I'm chip away, that chip away from it to the point where I'm like, you know what? A year from now when I'm cleaning up stuff and run into it again, I'll probably read it from cover to cover again, but I'm probably going to put this aside for now. 
I'd have to go on that on that same note. It's definitely an above average story, and it didn't suffer from the the second, third, fourth issue padding. But I would say probably it's a solid three point five stars for me. Well above average. The art's very pretty. I thought Stephen for sure would mention the J.G. Jones as the guy who did covers for Fifty Two. Uh, by the way, everyone, J.G. Jones <laughs> did the covers for 52, and his uh, art looks spectacular. I knew yeah. that. All this, I knew that, too. All of, <laughs> you know, I just love the I love the art in here. I don't care if it's Halle Berry and Eminem. I don't care if it's Tommy Lee Jones. I don't care if it's, uh, you know, who it is. I don't care if it's... You'd care if it was Louis Anderson and Wally Cox. <laughs> no, actually, I wouldn't. If, it, if it's I am done, a killer. If it's done right... I don't think so. I mean, I love the art in this. It's just really good. Yeah, it, it pushes that realism bit a little bit too far, um, but I really don't have a problem with how he's laying out the pages, how I don't mind the graphic violence. This is certainly not something that my son is going to get before he turns, I don't know, 14. <laughs> I'm not going to let Molly see this thing before she's 30. I don't know. I think I, I think what we're seeing on television and movies is, you know, for, it's it's certainly rated R. So yeah. 14, 18, and, somewhere in that range, when he's old enough to handle it and deal with it, oh, he'll yeah. read it. But this is certainly not something that I'm going to recommend to anyone under the age of a rated R movie, because this is pretty hardcore. And, but I love that. Oh, over the top is kind of the point of this yeah, whole thing. It is. Mm-hmm. And I love the art and I love the story and I love the pacing. Of course, I read it in the trade. I didn't read it in the single issues. I read it in the trade, which makes it a much better read, I think. I think the story is well driven, even if you if some parts are telegraphed well ahead of time. Uh, it's just that's why I like it. I, the little problem that I have is glorifying the supervillain with no superheroes around, although I love they're out for that. Hey, we just finally ganged up together and did it just like the supervillains were doing on the uh, on Oolong Island during uh, during count or 52. So that's why I'm giving it a four out of five, four, four point five out of five stars. There you go. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to the show this week. Don't forget to tell everyone about the show. We would sure love to have millions and millions of listeners listening to this show and visiting the website at majorspoilers.com. We certainly appreciate everyone who comes there. Um, you know, you participate in the comments section, you participate in the forums, you might appear on the major spoilers podcast. We really appreciate it. If you, if you guys would leave us some comments over at iTunes or podcast alley. And remember, if you have any questions, comments, Topics for future shows or even some trade paperbacks you think we might review on the show, just drop us an email at podcast at Majorspoilers.com because we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we'll see you next time. Tom Welling rules! See you later. later.